Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. There is a better way to practice architecture. When you build a thriving business, you will then have the time and the financial resources to do your best work, to design the architecture that you want to design. We've built a powerful program of resources, training, and community for you, the small firm architect. We'll show you how to build a better business so you can be a better architect. Entree Architect Academy. To learn more, visit the homepage at entrearchitect.com. You're listening to Entree Architect Podcast, and this is episode 179. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup, or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, FreshBooks, BQE Software, and RCAT. And I'm going to share a little bit more about these great companies later in the show. But before we get started here, take a quick note to schedule some time later this week to visit each one of them. Go check them out and let them know that you appreciate them supporting us the Entree Architect community. Katie Hutchison, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Happy to be here. Thanks. It's great having you here. Uh, Katie is an architect, an author, 
a photographer and many other things. And she's based in um, Warren, Rhode Island. Uh, and she's passionate about residential architecture and specifically small projects, small houses and small, small projects. She's the author of The New Small House, which makes sense, seeing that she's passionate about small projects, uh, published by Taunton Press. Um, and she's working on a new book, which I'm sure we'll get into here. But I want to introduce Katie and let her talk a little bit about herself and share her origin story. So Katie, go back to where you discovered architecture. What inspired you to become an architect? Give us two or three minutes of who you are, what you do, and share the journey from where you discovered architecture to where you find yourself today. Absolutely. You know, I think, you know, my story is probably not unlike many other architects stories. I think that we as a profession, we're generalists, we have lots of interests. And um, I think kind of naturally wear many hats. So I was not one of these kids who started off, you know, with my blocks and said, I want to be an architect someday. It wasn't something that came to me early like that. Um, I had lots of interests. And early on, the interest that really grabbed my attention was actually writing. So I pursued that initially. I came to architect architecture after I already had, um, you know, a liberal arts degree, actually. Oh, interesting. So, so you started with <laughs> writing and then discovered architecture. Yes, yes. So I had, you yeah. know, throughout my my uh, early childhood and then early education, been very interested in the arts, um, not just literary arts, but fine arts. So I had done a lot of drawing and painting. Um, I'd say I was very spatially aware, like the only design thing I remember doing early on was designing boats, actually, because mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we used to sail. And, and maybe that's where my interest in small spaces um, originated from, you know, hard to trace that back. Um, do, you, do you still design boats? No, no, not at all. You know, it was just kind of a small, yeah. intimate space. Um, yeah. You know, again, I wasn't designing, uh, I was designing the interior of boats, right? So not like the boat lines. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was just very focused on I kind ask, of that intimate space. I ask because my, my middle son, my 12-year-old, is fascinated with, with designing boats and probably will become a boat designer. Ah, yeah. Yeah, he built well, the boat when he was when he was a whole special specialty. Yeah. yeah. He he built he designed and built a, a rowboat, 11-foot boat uh, rowboat when he was 7. Wow. So, so he uh and and he's never gone away. He just loves it and and is designing boats every day. So it's it's why yeah. Asked. yeah. Well, he may end up in Rhode Island then. Um yeah, you know, maybe. you know from yeah. your Rhode Island experience. Yep. Yeah. It's that's a wonderful field. And and I think that's the great thing about design is there's so many ways to branch off you know, into your area of interest. So after I had a liberal arts degree, I actually went off to work for magazines. Um, so I lived in Manhattan and I was working for Us Magazine, which mm -hmm. is that celebrity magazine. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I had a friend who was an interior designer in Manhattan and she worked for Robert Stern. And so I had been in her office, you know, just kind of on social occasions, kind of meet up with her to go out and do things. Yeah. And I was pretty fascinated by what I saw in the office and what people were doing. Um, and I ended up, I can't remember, remember exactly how this played out, but I ended up with a temporary gig in the publicity department of Robert Stern's office, um, you know, for like 
a few months, I was filling in for someone who was out. Yeah. And while I was there, my job was to be in his slide library. And um, he does a lot of uh, presentations, um, yeah. you know, at his school and elsewhere. And this is back, you know, pre-digital. So we had this enormous slide library of architecture from really uh, around the world. Um, and it was incredibly organized. And so I was supposed to, like, you know, pull the slides for these talks or whatever. And I would spend hours it was like this closet like room with all yeah. these drawers and i would just go through the slides and i would just like pick a destination there was a big light table and i would just pull them all out and this was like in between me you know doing what i was supposed to be doing so i think you know that just kind of triggered a fascination and i was always you know mathematically inclined and i thought well you know this looks like something that would bridge my many interests and something i could grow into I was definitely looking for something, you know, to make a lifetime career out of. And I felt like what I was doing at the time, you know, that wasn't going to be a lifetime career. That was kind of something that was going to play out quickly. Um, so I, after that job, that gig in the uh, publicity department of Robert Stern's office, I, I decided to go back to school. Um, and at that point, um, you know, my family um, connections uh, brought me to Newport, Rhode Island. Um and I started uh, to try to figure out, well, what schools are around here? So I tell you this story only because, you know, you don't have to have a prescriptive path, you yeah, know, about where you yeah. end up. It's and a so fascinating story. <laughs> yeah, I did not decide I'm going to go to RISD and then set out to do it. Yeah. I ended up, you know, in Newport. What schools around here? Oh, there's the school called RISD. <laughs> so I this was before they had a uh, graduate architecture program. So they only had undergraduate architecture and I already had an undergraduate degree. Yeah. So I got in touch with them and I was like, so I think I called like the head of the department at the time. They had like a temporary head uh, in the architecture department and kind of said that I was interested, but I already had a degree. And what would they recommend I do? Not so much like, can I come to your school? I was really just kind of looking for advice. Yeah. And they were like, well, you know, we have people who come here with previous degrees. We call them transfer students, <laughs> even though, you know, they've already completed their programs. And they are here for a shorter amount of time. So you kind of apply your credits that you already have where applicable to kind of shorten your overall stay um, and come out with a B-Arch. Um, so that's what I ended up doing. Yeah, so that's interesting. So sort of yeah. an unofficial, official unofficial program that yeah that gets you into were, the official program <laughs> yeah so there were a handful of us yeah. there were probably maybe more than a handful there might have been like 12 of us i would say who came in this way and what they did is you know the standard student route at RISD is you do a full year of what they call foundation and that's um studying cross-discipline you're not just studying whatever you came to study be it photography yeah. or textiles or graphic science everyone's mixed in which is great and you take together these foundation courses. So when you transfer in, you don't have time for a whole year to catch up, you know? So they bring you into a summer intensive and, and that was our foundation. So all of us who came in that way did this summer intensive foundation program before we launched into, you know, what, what is the first year of architecture school. So it was, you know, I don't know if they do that now, right? Yeah. This is kind of like back in the day, you know, because now they have a graduate program and, you know, kind of why would they need this right. like intermediate thing? Um, but for me, 
and for my peers. So there were a bunch of us who were slightly older. Um, it worked out really well. Yeah. Yeah. And then so uh, what did you what what happened from there? So I, before you get into that, for anybody who doesn't know, RISD is Rhode Island School of Design, R-I-S-D, RISD. And that's yes. in, in Providence, Rhode Island. So people in, in the know, the design world, know RISD. But if anybody's listening who doesn't know RISD, RISD is Rhode Island School of Design in Providence. Yes. So what Which happened after that? such a fun place. Um, so after that, um, I, I got married while I was at RISD. And so we knew we were going to be staying in Rhode Island, you know, in the short term. Um, so we, I, you know, started looking around for, for, for gigs, um, in Rhode Island. This was in 1992, um, which was a recession. So, and so, as we so that's know, when you, gra- you graduated in 92. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, as we know in the architecture profession, you know, these recessions are cyclical and, you know, there's, you, you get kind of comfortable with the concept of of working in a recession and looking for work in a recession. So I started at a firm in Providence that actually specialized in uh, commercial interiors, um, which was not what I planned on doing. But, you know, it was a start. Which firm was was that? So it was called Benefit Street Design. It no longer exists, but, you know, it was in Providence on Benefit Street. And, um, you know, it was just a small operation. Um, and we did a lot of office interiors, um, and it was actually a really good, you know, just it kind of worked out as a good place to start, kind of just learn, you know, like what's a set of construction documents. Yeah. Cause when you come in, you're just so green. Um, and I was particularly green. So I had some really great, um, coworkers slash mentors because I think everyone there had a little more experience than I did, even the most junior people. Um, and so I was there not long. I st- you know, I like maybe a lot of other people just jumped around a lot. Um, so I worked kind of across New England for a while at many firms. Um, and we relocated, my husband and I, a couple times. So that kind of drove, you know, kind of a series of job changes. So I worked out on Martha's Vineyard for a while. I worked in Manhattan. Um, we moved to Marblehead, Mass. So I worked on the North Shore. Um, and then we recently relocated back to Rhode Island. And you're in you're in Warren now, right? So, yes. Yeah. yeah. So you're, that's sort of halfway between Providence and Newport. If you drew a straight exactly. line, you're sort of yeah in the midpoint. Well, yeah, we're kind of closer to Providence, yeah. which is yeah. part of why we chose Warren. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful little kind of funky, artsy small town. Yeah. Uh, in Rhode Island. Yeah, I love Rhode Island. I yeah. I miss it. I went to school at Roger Williams in, in yes. Bristol. And uh, we still go back to Bristol often, uh, just to sort of wherever, whenever we're running through town, I always sort of head off to, to Bristol to see how things are going. And, and uh, occasionally I've spoken over, the, over there. So it's, uh, it's, I really, really like, uh, I like, I love Providence, but I love Bristol. Yeah, no, Bristol's fabulous. And actually when I read to RISD, you know, again, because I came to Rhode Island with just, you know, not a lot of familiarity about what was here, I actually wasn't aware of Roger Williams um, and became aware of it later. And of course, some of my favorite architects went to Roger Williams. Um, but, you know, at the time, it's funny how you get, I had kind of, you know, my blinders on and I just did what was kind yeah. of straight ahead of me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like from your background, it sounds like RISD was the perfect place for you. It was. It was yeah. great. And so I also got my BFA while I was there. Um, 
So because I've always been very interested in fine art. Um, so I actually have three bachelor degrees. Um, so I have no masters. I'm a bachelor of everything with a master of none. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it was for me, it, it really was a nice fit. So when did you officially start practicing? So I went out on my own in 2002. Um, and that was, again, you know, slightly um, a slightly soft economy when I went out on my own. Um, and what I did shortly thereafter, because I really didn't have um, work lined up, <laughs> it was more I want to be on my own kind of thing that drove me to go out. Not, you know, I have seven gigs and I'm going to go do them. Um, so I actually teamed up with an architect friend on the Cape. Um, we weren't a joint enterprise or anything, but we collaborated together um, for several years. And so that kind of helped give me some consistent work um, to kind of get me off the ground. Um, but I also, and as, as you mentioned in the beginning, and I think we might discuss more, I have, um, you know, other things I'm interested in, in addition, um, to architecture. And so my, my view or, or version of the small farm life is diversify. And it's not so much that I'm diversifying in like the type of architectural clients I'm taking. I'm diversifying in terms of like what I do. Um, so I started freelance writing um, not long after I went out on my own for fine home building. Um, so I would write, I don't know if you're familiar, they used to have a drawing board column. Yeah, I do. I yeah, remember. So that, yeah, so that was in, um, I think they had that in most issues. Yeah. And so I, you know, I think I started submitting things um, for their houses, their their annual issue. Um and then that became kind of a nice, um, I don't know if I can say regular, because it's not like I was committed to do it at a certain time interval. Um, it was just something that when I had a break in my schedule, I would email them several ideas. Um, so it was kind of a good way to both um, keep, keep me thinking about design, but in a different way. And also kind of a, another income stream, though it is a very small income stream, and also a way to kind of build some publicity. So those that's actually kind of what led me eventually in the book direction was the, kind of the freelance magazine writing. Yeah. And so, I mean, but you also started by saying that you started by writing. That was sort of your love, right? Yes. So it sort yes. of brought it full circle and said, okay, yeah. you went and got that architecture degree, started your firm, and then still want to write. So you, you reached out to find home building magazine and said, Hey, I'm an architect. Yes. I write, yeah. here's some submissions. What do you think? So yeah. is, is that how you did it? Is you sort of found the editor or did you know the editor through some other connection? Well, I had a friend who, um, worked for another publication, um, at the Taunton press, you know, they have many magazines. Um, and so a friend of mine worked for, um, fine cooking, mm -hmm. um, their cooking magazine. And so she actually made some introductions yep. for me. She was like, oh, you might want to talk to this person and that person. Um, and so I think my initial, oh, you know what else I'm remembering? Um, they, at one point, um, the Taunton Press was launching a new magazine. I don't know if you remember, there was briefly a magazine called The Inspired House. Yep, I do remember yeah. that. I, yeah. I had a subscription to it. There you go. So before that launched, um, Oh, the well, my friend put me in touch with one of the people who was kind of beginning that magazine. Mm -hmm. I think that's actually when I first went in there, and um, 
I think I was trying to get a gig on Inspired House now that I, if I think back on it. Um, and I had already done like one drawing board for them. Mm-hmm. So that's just uh, the Inspired House. I actually never did write anything for Inspired House, but that was what brought me out for my first um, kind of interview at, at the Taunton Press in Connecticut. Um, and then I just kept in touch with the fine home building people and kept pitching. I basically would just pitch them an idea, you know, and, and sometimes they'd be like, oh, we did that idea, you know, three months ago, you know, something similar to that. So then I would pitch them another idea and they would just kind of, you know, they would look ahead at their calendar and try to figure out, you know, how to spread the topics around in a way that made sense. Or if they knew they had a themed article, uh, you know, issue coming up, you know, could they, could they drop it in that issue? So it was basically like that. I think most of the time it was me approaching them. Um, every once in a while they would come back and approach me. Um, but then, then I would have scheduling issues, right? So if I was in the middle, I'm a sole practitioner, so I don't have staff. So if I was in the middle of a project, an architectural commission, then I would often pass on, you know, one of the article gigs, um, just because I didn't have time. So a lot of it had to do with, with schedule, um, what I could do. Do you consider yourself an architect who writes or a writer who's an architect? Probably an architect who writes. Um, because that's really my mainstay yeah. is the architecture. You know, the writing is something I started off with and it's certainly the writing that I do now is in a way in service to the architecture. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say, you know, architect is probably the, the bigger hat. Um, but I do, you know, I, I, I do enjoy wearing the many hats and I do enjoy writing, but it is a certain type of writing, um, when you're doing design writing for either a magazine or a book. Um, so, uh, you know, it's kind of in service to the design. Basically it all comes down to being about design. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's from following you online and, and, and talking a little bit before we start, it, it, it sounds like design is where it all comes together, that all of the pieces come back to to design, the architecture, the writing, your photography, which we haven't even gotten into, but, but it all comes back to that. You love design and that you love, you know, how that all ties in. Yes. And I guess my, my thing about the word design is I think just the way it's used out in the culture is it's often associated with interior design. Like we're leaving the word interior off when we're talking about design, which is not how I look at it at all. So I see design as this big bucket that all these other things are in architecture, landscape, interiors, urban planning, that, that that all falls into the design bucket. So I always wondered why people said they did architecture and design. Right. To me, I was right. like, architecture and design, what do you mean? Yeah. 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 Um, so, and I think that's just, that's one of these things that's just out there in the culture um, that's just, it is what it is. Kind of like the word green, you know, it takes on a lot of meanings. It means different things to different people. And it's kind of become a little bit fuzzy. Yeah, and I think it has a lot to do with licensing law and and the yep. you know people wanting to protect the word architect, and so they're very specific that when they're talking architecture that they are an architect, and right? Because you can be a designer without being an architect. And yes, so I think that's yes, sort of yes. where, where we've lost the meaning and the and the impact of the word design. Right, design. right. But yeah, I, I mean, I it's the RISD you. school of design. It's not the RISD school of interiors. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like. Yeah all the different types of design. Um, and I, and actually, you know, the graphics, the textiles, the, I mean, it's just, you're right. That is all 
uh, in the design world, and I am I am fascinated and taken with all of it. And that's that's the beauty of being a sole practitioner. You've you've obviously chosen excuse me chosen that path as a sole practitioner that you've chosen not to grow into a larger firm. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, FreshBooks, BQE Software, and RCAT. 192 hours. That works out to about two business days every month. And when you're a small firm architect using FreshBooks cloud accounting software, that's the amount of administration time that you can save this year. That's time that you can spend doing the things you love, like being an architect. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. Sign up for a free 30-day unrestricted trial and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, my favorite, get paid faster. Visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks to access FreshBooks for free and be sure to enter Entree Architect in that How Did You Hear About Us section. One of the most often requested resources here at Entree Architect community is project management software. I hear it all the time. How do we keep our projects and our people organized while we grow as entrepreneur architects? This podcast is sponsored by AIA Advantage Partners BQE Software. They are the makers of ArchiOffice. ArchiOffice is the only time tracking, billing, and project management software made by architects for architects. It empowers you to easily and quickly understand everything about your projects, your staff, and finances all in one place, wherever you are. And listeners here at Entree Architect Podcast can get a free 15-day trial of ArchiOffice at entrearchitect.com slash BQE. That's entrearchitect.com slash BQE. If you've been listening to this podcast anytime during the last few months, you've heard me talking about RCAT. And hopefully you're already using their free resources on a regular basis. But for those of you who have maybe not checked them out yet, RCAT's a great tool for small firm architects like you. RCAT has huge libraries of free content, CAD, BIM, specifications, and more. And they've done all the work for you. You need a spec? Click on over and download the CSI three-part specification in multiple formats, all for free. How about a CAD detail or BIM objects? All free at the click of a mouse. RCAT has tons of building product content ready for you to use, and it's all completely free. And you don't have to register to download any of it. And they've recently launched something new that I want you to go check out. It's called Charette. Create a project, assign tasks, share and collaborate with colleagues and clients in real time. Pull content from the RCAT database, all that free stuff I'm talking about, you can pull it there and throw it into Charette. Anywhere on the web, found something out on the web, pull it in, put it into Charette. It all keeps it organized in one place and you can collaborate with your clients and your colleagues. And this is free 
too. So visit them at entrearchitect.com slash RCAT, that's A-R-C-A-T, entrearchitect.com slash RCAT, and click on the charrette icon right there on the homepage to learn more. FreshBooks, BQE Software, and RCAT. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Andre Architect community. Can you talk about that a little bit, that your choice of becoming a sole practitioner so you can? Uh, there's actually a, a, a term that I like to use that that's, uh, Jeff Goins, the author of The Art of Work, has coined. It's called The Portfolio Life. And you're a perfect yeah, like example that. of that, that you, you're an architect and you're an author and you're a designer and you're a photographer and you've created this life for yourself to be able to pursue all of that um, and not have to only focus on one and the rest sort of our hobbies, that you are all of those things and you, you do live this portfolio life. And so um, can you talk about that choice of becoming yeah, a sole practitioner? Think, yeah, and I think a lot of things, like just like any other kind of career choice and choice in, in life, um, it just kind of evolves naturally from who you are, you know? So I've always been fascinated and interested and pursued all these different art, you know, design oriented, uh, you know, I guess venues was the word I was going to use, but pursuits. Um, and I enjoy moving between them. So I think it's also part of that. I just, I don't want to do just the one thing. I get a little restless if I do one of them. Yeah to the exclusion of the other. Um, so I, I very much like that when I'm done with the book, <laughs> you know, I go back and work on commissions. And then when I finish a commission, I have an opportunity to write something. I definitely like the, um, the change of activity. And I think even being a sole practitioner in itself, even if, even if, if your practice was strictly architectural, you know, there's so many hats you wear to conduct that practice if you're just one person. Um, and that satisfies my need to kind of move around and do other things, uh, not to the exclusion of one activity. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, most people hate the administrative part of running an office. A lot of architects, yep. um, I really don't mind it. It's like, okay, so, you know, I've been designing for several hours. I'm just going to take a little bit of a breather here and do some PR, you know, work on my blog. Or even doing billing. I'm like, you know what? I don't mind doing some billing right now. Yeah. Just to kind of move it around. Um, phone calls when you're a sole practitioner. Um, you know, I think back in the day, that could be an interruption and kind of a problem. Like you're trying to get through your day. And, you know, phone calls about all range of topics that people might call you about. Because there's cold callers and, you know, any range. That probably could have been a problem in the past. But now you can kind of streamline you know, even your phone calls, you know, who's calling you, you know, you know, if it's a client, you know, if it's a vendor, you know, you know, if it's a contractor, you know, if it's someone you don't know. So you're just kind of choosing how you're going to conduct your day to get done, whatever on any given day you've decided is, is that day's task. And that, I don't know, that kind of uh, flexibility just suits me. Yeah, I, I think technology has allowed us to pursue a life like this as well. Yeah, that, that when you talked about the telephone, you know, they're, you know, there are systems now that will, you know, route them to different voicemails or, or send you a text message of what the voicemail was and right, right. You know, automatically respond to them. And, you know, there's so many different ways of being able to still serve your client, but without being interrupted. So it's, you know, yeah, we can yeah. use these different tools uh, to, to 
enhance our lives in as a you know as sole practitioners. I mean, yeah, I mean the fact that I don't have to have a product library. You know, back right. in the day, yep. we all had all the offices had these libraries. And they would get outdated and they'd get full and you would never be able to see some of it. And and just the fact that it's all digital um, is just wonderful, you know, yeah. um, really has made because you know, I just work out of my house. You know, I'm not in some I don't even have like a shared office space. You know what I mean? So and I know that's what a lot of people do just to kind of that can ease if you have like several architects sharing a space or maybe you have an architect and a designer and another like a landscape person sharing a space um you know benefit from that overlap but i can be in my house and still access you know an incredible amount of material um you know in a, in a moment's notice so yeah it's, it is kind of a luxury of, of wanting to do this now let's uh let's talk about the book a little bit let's talk about the first book the new small house is the first book Talk about how I'm assuming writing for the magazine sort of led to that. Yes. So yep, how did it. that happen? Because I think a lot of people have books in them. We've talked about right. this before in the podcast. Yeah. How, did, how did you get from writing an article to getting a book published? Um, so I was, you know, like like these other folks you're mentioning, you know, I did have the bee in my bonnet that I wanted to do a design book. Um, so I was trying to figure out you know, how to make that happen, um, how to get my foot in the door to do such a thing. So back in like 2007, maybe, um, I started pitching book ideas, um, to the Taunton press and, um, I, I pitched them <laughs> a lot of ideas and, you know, these weren't full book proposals. These were just kind of like concepts. Um, and so they brought me in for a meeting. They were like, okay, let's just like have a meeting. That's going to be more productive than this like torrent of emails. Um, so I went in for a meeting and um, this was, you know, some time ago, this was just pre-recession, right? And we were going, the book, the concept that they liked, because, you know, for me, I might have a lot of ideas. They, the publisher, helps determine what is marketable, you know? Yeah. So they're very much looking at it, you know, understandably from a business, you know, what's going to sell? point of view um so of the concepts that i was pitching at the time the one they were interested in was um a book about small retreats um and i had designed a backyard retreat um which was you know part of what kind of instigated this concept and that's what we were going to do and i actually had um a book contract pretty much in the works on the desk of the publisher <laughs> in uh, 2008 when the recession kind of hit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So my book, um, along with some others, uh, fell victim to the recession and was killed, uh, which is the term that they use, which I think is funny, um, prior to it kind of even getting off the ground. But um, I had made contacts with the editors at that point. So even though that was like obviously quite disappointing to have the book disappear, um, you know, I, I knew who to contact. I kind of understood the process a little better um, about how to get a, um, a, you know, a book project going, a book proposal kind of in the queue. So then I continued to pitch them book proposals. Now, over time, like obviously the recession happened. There was no point in pitching something then, you know. Right. So when the economy started to improve, I started to, uh, you know, my 
my onslaught of book pitches. Um, and I had another meeting about another one. I can't even remember what that one was. Um, and then one day, um, one of the editors that I'd been meeting with called me up, um, Peter Chapman, and said that they had um, a book in the queue, a title, but they didn't have an author because the author had fallen through. Um, and it was going to be about small houses and did I want to do it? So again, this, this, I tell you this story because this is not a straight path either, you know? So this again, it just, you know, you kind of pursue what you want to pursue and keep working it and working it. And then, you know, in my case, that was a really good fit. They contacted me because they knew of my smaller projects. Um, and they knew of my writing and, so that just fell in place. Um, and the timing fit, that's the other thing. If you're going to do a book, it's time, time consuming. And so you have to have the opportunity or an opening in your schedule, you know, to be able to accommodate that. And at that particular time I did. So it was, you know, it was a lovely thing that they needed someone. And of course I had been pursuing them for years. So it came together quite nicely. So that first book about the retreats never happened. That never happened. So when That's it, why when, the, it, when it's killed, it's literally killed. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the actually in the back of the new small house, um, there is a bonus. We call it a bonus chapter about small retreats. So we did kind of, yeah. you know, dip back into that idea to bring just there were five small retreats in the back of that book, including the one that that was part of my original pitch um, back in the day. Yeah. It, so. <laughs> It, it, and that that could work out in another way also down the line. Like, yes, that exact book was killed. Um, but as you know, architects are constantly designing and homeowners are moving and building new buildings and things evolve um, and move forward. So but that's part of the fun of these books is there's always new projects um, to consider that, that people have recently completed. Um, so who knows? Maybe someday there will be a book that's exclusively small retreats. Yeah. And, and like you said, it, a lot of it has to do with timing that, that when your book yes. came out, it, the tiny house movement was, you know, strong and, and, and the idea coming out of a recession, everybody's, you know, thinking, how do I be more efficient? How do I be more effective? You know, yep. how do uh, the big houses were starting to, you know, had some stigma to them. Um, so the small house was, popular as well yes so, which is why which is why they already had the title in their queue the yeah. publisher you know what i mean that's why they'd already decided okay we need to do a small house book you know and um uh, you know more and more i'm finding you know even for this this next one that i'm doing um there were some other ideas that i had proposed and um you know i run these by my editor peter chapman um and then he has meetings with you know, the marketing and PR people and the publisher, and they're looking at it, you know, from a different vantage point, um, which is definitely market driven. Um, so this, this next book, if I could just get in a word about the next one, because yeah, yeah, I am hoping that, yeah. Um, yeah, cause, uh, I would love it if some of your listeners and followers, um, might submit some ideas for the next book. So the working title of the new one is, um, the cottage now, um, and I actually have on my blog, which is called House Enthusiast, which is at um, my website, which is katiehutchison.com. I have a call for submissions on there that spells out some of the specifics of what I'm looking for. 
and and what I say I'm looking for, what we're looking for, I review all these with my editor and the art department looks at them. They, they kind of go through a lot of eyes um, when we're trying to select projects to include in a book. Um, but the idea is kind of looking at what does the cottage mean now? Um, and so we're trying to define it fairly broadly so that um, we have a lot to look at and consider to see if it falls into this bucket that we're going to call the cottage. Um, and we're looking, they are smaller buildings for things that are between 1,000 and 2,000 square feet, but that's, there's wiggle room there. You know, that's not completely hard and fast. That's just kind of a guideline. And if it's something that you as the architect or designer feel is a cottage, send it to us because if you think it's a cottage, we might, and it might fall into our broad strokes of what a cottage can be, but I am trying to think of how the cottage has evolved. So it could be a uh, new construction, it could be renovation or addition, um, but something that maybe takes the cottage in a new direction um, in some way um, that reflects where we are today. So th there's no specific definition of cottage for you. It's it's typically houses between 1,000 and 2,000 square feet, and if and if the architect feels that it's a cottage, then it's something that you'd like to take a look at. Yeah, because we don't want to rule people. Yeah, I'm afraid something. if we yeah. make it too narrow, some great options right. won't even come our way. Right. Um, and it, I've had a lot of kind of casual conversations with people about the, the new book and what they think a cottage is. And it's been fascinating to me, like the distinction people make between cottage and cabin right. and the words that they associate with cottage versus cabin um, and what does that mean and what are the characteristics of it? And some of them have strong feelings about a location being associated with a cottage. Yeah. Some of them think about a certain material, um, a materiality is significant to it being a cottage. So it's kind of fascinating the connotation that I'm just finding in like casual conversation with people about what they think of when they think of cottage. And so I don't want to kind of close it down yeah. when I'm calling for submissions because, you know, that's actually the really exciting part is when people start sending things in. Um, because it's also an opportunity for me and the publisher and certainly the public down the line to discover a smaller firm, you know, that we otherwise might not know about. Right. Um, so and, and certainly it's not like it's only really going to publish small firm um projects because we certainly go to some of the more well-known firms that we're familiar with you know um whose work have, may have been published elsewhere in the past maybe most of us most architects are familiar with but it's great to have kind of it could be a young firm it could be a firm that's been around for a while but i'm not aware of them um so it's always fun to see what comes in yeah well i hope uh, some of our listeners here out there listening uh, have some cottages that they want to submit and uh we can make a connection for you. So if if somebody's interested, they can go to katiehutchison.com. It's H-U-T-C-H-I-S-O-N. Katie, Correct. Uh, Katie with an I-E. So K-A-T-I-E-H-U-T-C-H-I-S-O-N.com. Um, and there's a post there on the blog that talks all about the submissions, right? So basically you're looking yes. for some some photos and a basic description through an email right at this point yeah just yeah like just low res photos yeah. you know it's nothing at this point it's very loose um 
yeah, we just we want to see what it is. We want to hear like a little bit about it. You know, is it new? Is it uh, a renovation? How big is it? Location um, is important, not just location in the country, but, you know, what what is it in the country? Is it on the water? Is right, it, you know, like right. where is this cottage? Um, and if you have a floor plan, it doesn't have to be a presentation plan, you know, just something that communicates plan. Um, that's helpful. And so we just get all this low res stuff um, and sort through it. And then ultimately for the book, um, we try to get as much new photography as we can. So um, it is also important that the homeowner be um, open right. to having their project you know, featured in a book. Um, we do. I will interview the homeowner. Some homeowners request that their names be withheld, which that works also. Um and it's obviously it's a good kind of opportunity for an architect to get their name out. But we have in the past there have been a couple instances where a homeowner initially was okay with the idea of having their house included, but then when they learned yeah. about the the new <laughs> photography, they were like, "Whoa, wait, wait a minute." Yeah. So that is kind of a critical piece that that we would like to be able to get new photography. Right, right. So katiehutchison.com. Go check it out. You can actually go check out her website anyway. Even if you don't have a cottage to submit, go check out Katie Hutchinson. It has everything that you want to know about her. Her architecture is there. Her photography, which we didn't even talk about, is there. Um, and her and links to her book and uh, and information on submitting to the new book. I'm really excited about your new book because I love cottages. It's, it's, oh, good. It's, good. A, it's, a, it's a piece of my, my mom and dad have a house that was built at the turn of the century on the St. Lawrence River, upstate New York. Um, that I'm actually going to tomorrow for, oh, the, for a long weekend. And uh, it's a place where memories happen for me. When I think cottages, yep. it's a place where my kids build memories and I make memories and my mom and dad. And it's a place where the family comes together. Mm-hmm. And I would I would guess that that's probably, for me, that's sort of the, the definition. Not necessarily the, the, the building type or the certainly its size. Although yeah. the Newport mansions were called cottages too. Yes, so. yes. We're, we are leaving out something of that scale. Yeah. yeah so yeah. we won't have any Newport mansions. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so the definition is, you know, it's whatever, which actually leads back to that is that for them, that is what that was. It was a place for them to escape the city and bring their families yes. together. It was very much a vacation place on the water. Like yeah. that's how that definition is. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's exciting. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. If there's anything I can do to help you, uh, beyond, um, you know, helping get the word out about submissions, let me know. I'm happy to help. Oh, I appreciate it. Well, um, this this in itself is 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 tremendous because for me the challenge is just you know um, trying to find the projects. Um, and so I I so appreciate that you you've spread the word for me. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. We'll also mention it on the Facebook group. We have a big Facebook group, uh, very oh, great. active with uh, with a bunch of architects on it that probably would be uh, interested. Um, great. I just sort of want to sort of put a bow on this because I think there are a lot of people who are listening and will will see that you're the guest today and know your book and and have that idea of wanting to write a book too I think a lot of architects have this you know dream of of putting together a design book and I think from listening to what you're saying um, it's really it started as connections right you made connections small connections with small little commissions and then timing was a huge part all through your story timing mattered um, and then the, the, the other two pieces that I heard you say over and over again, and not specifically, but, but consistency and persistence that you didn't yes. give up that yes. you, that if this one didn't work, well, I'm going to give you another one. Here's another one. If that one's not going to work, I'm going to give you another one. And, and I hear authors say that all the time, that it's not just yeah. the first 
book. It's not the, right. the first idea. If you really right. want to do this, you have to make the connections and you have to be consistent over and over and over again and be persistent until somebody gives you a meeting because they're sick of your emails. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you make another bigger connection and you never know where it's going to lead. So, um, yeah. so I appreciate you sharing, sharing that information, sharing that knowledge. Um, I can't wait for the new book. Before you go, I want you to answer one question. And I, and I didn't prep you on this, but I'm sure you can okay. answer this. Um, and it's a question that I ask all my guests. Um, it's what's one thing that an entrepreneur architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? And it's supposed to be something that's sort of actionable, something easily um, executed and see some some uh, results in relative short time. you have any ideas? Well, I think just, you know, you mentioned kind of that I had you said make connections from from the beginning, yeah. and, and I I can't emphasize that enough. And I don't think making connections necessarily means scouring, um, you know, the architecture kind of network for right. connections. Yep. A connection can be anyone. Um, I think a connection means getting involved in something that interests you, and not so much. I, I don't like to look at these things as like, oh, this is a network opportunity. Yep. I'm going to go do this thing. I think you should do things that mean something to you, that you want to invest your time and energy in. And if you join organizations, groups, committees, what have you, um, in a field of your interest, you will meet people who are interesting. <laughs> and they'll be interesting to you because they're in this field of your interest. And those contacts will ultimately lead you closer to what it is that you want to do. Maybe totally indirectly, completely randomly, you never really know how it's going to work out. But if you are your authentic self, you you put yourself out there, do what you want to do, you'll meet other like-minded people who want to interact with you. And and you never know where that might lead. Yeah, that's a, that's a great answer. This podcast is a perfect example of this. This episode with you here, um, that's those are connections that we're talking about. Is that, is right, that, right. You know, I actually, I didn't even realize it until you mentioned that, that the drawing board is where I first discovered you. Okay. And, and, and I had totally forgotten that until you had just said that. But then from being on social media so often, you and I bumped into each other over and over yes. and over again through yes. social media. Um, and, you know, built an online, you know, relationship the way we always do with these people. You know, we kind of keep connecting and keep connecting and, you know, we keep reaching out to each other. And then, you know, you had, I, I loved your book and your, and the idea of the new book. And I've been asking you to be on the show and you know, you have an idea now that we can talk to people about. And so here it is, that connection, is. connection led to something f for both of us. And so yes, it's a yes. Per perfect example of, of doing that. And that wasn't strategic. You know, I didn't want to meet right. Katie Hutchinson because she's going to lead me somewhere and you yeah, didn't want to meet Yeah, because someday you're going to do a podcast. Right. Exactly. It was just yeah. that you were, you were an interesting person. And so, you know, it, I wanted to get to know you more and, you know, you follow me and it's, it, look where it led. So, yeah. And, yeah. Who, and who knows where it goes it. from here? Absolutely. Um, it'll that be interesting to, to see if uh, it leads to a submission that ends up in the book that may change some architect's life down the road. Right. Right. I love how that works. I yes. Love it. Yeah. This is why I do yeah. what I do. And I'm well, sure, I so appreciate you know, it. Yeah. So thank you for having me on and thank you for, for spreading the word about the book. And yeah, yeah, onward to whatever is next. Yeah, absolutely. So the website, <laughs> Katie Hutchinson, uh, Hutchison .com. Um Facebook, great Facebook page. It's Katie Hutchinson Studio. 
uh, and Instagram. Love your Instagram. It's where oh, I thank follow you. you the most. It's KHS, <laughs> so Katie Hutchison Studio Instagram. So KHS Instagram on Instagram. So Katie, thank you very much for joining me here today and for sharing your knowledge here with the Entree Architect podcast. Thank you so much, Mark, and thank you for your interest. I really appreciate it. If you liked what we shared here today, share it with a friend. This is episode 179, so click in entrearchitect.com slash episode 179 and share it with a friend. And, and if you or someone you may know might be interested in submitting a project to Katie for consideration for her new book, visit, I put together a, a nice simple link for you. Visit entrearchitect.com slash cottage book. It'll send you directly to uh, Katie's blog post that talks about submissions, but you don't have a lot of time. So don't wait. Today is, or this, this episode will be live on Friday, July 21st, 2017. It's only going to be up for a week or two. The, those submissions are only going to be open for a week or two. So if you're interested and you're listening to this around July 21st, 2017, slash cottage book. I would love to see one of you, one of the Entree Architect community, get published in Katie's new book, The Cottage Now. So go, slash cottage book and go submit. Go share what you do and get yourself published. I'd love to see that. I would love to see that. Uh, complete show notes and links to everything that we talked about will be at entrearchitect.com slash episode 179. And share, share that link, entrearchitect.com slash 179. Go send it to a friend, put it on Facebook, put it on Twitter, share it. That's the way we grow here. That's the way we're going to affect change. That's how we're going to make the world a better place through architecture. Hey, and don't forget to visit my website, our website at entrearchitect.com for information on Entree Architect Academy. That's how I'm trying to change the world. I am, I am trying to make the world a better place through design, through you, through small firm architects, helping you build better businesses. I know you can build a better business. We've put together a program that we have resources, we have training, we have community, entrearchitect.com, no slash, right there on the homepage, entrearchitect.com, get all the information that you wanna know about Entree Architect Academy, go check it out. I really want you to be part of what we're doing here. My name, if you might not know, is Mark Arlapage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I sincerely encourage you to go build a better business so you can do what you love and be a better architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris 
owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.